0: Hello everyone, I wish you a very warm welcome back to our podcast. I'm Rika and this is a podcast of Promote Ukraine. This series is called Ukraine Up to Date and after a short break, we bring out this podcast again every week where we put together the most interesting, relevant and important topics and events about Ukraine and talk a little bit about it. So in case you want to stay on top of things that are happening in and around Ukraine, don't worry, we keep you up to date. And without further ado, let's start with the hot topics. Today, I would like to start the episode slightly differently. As you might know, the fifth edition of the Brussels Ukraina Review is out now. And by the way, you can still get your own digital copy at uh, PromoteUkraine.org. So yeah, in the Brussels Ukraine Review, Teras Kozup wrote an article which gives a really good overview over the past year. And as we are basically exactly a year in this um, i'm going to call it a special situation i thought it would be interesting to have um, a short recap of the past year so here are the five moments of 2020. in ukraine the fight against covid 19 officially began on the 3rd of march 2020 when the first coronavirus case was confirmed in the Chernivtsi region Initially, the authorities took quite decisive measures, in particular by launching a broad awareness raising campaign about safety measures and creating a special fund to combat the epidemic. As of the 6th November, 39 billion uh, or 59% of the fund was spent. Um, sort of severe lockdown or quarantine was imposed from the 12th of March to the 3rd of April and then extended as an adaptive quarantine. The posts of health minister and chief state sanitary doctor were perhaps associated with the amplest resources in the country and at the same time were the shakiest. Almost all healthcare care officials ran the risk of losing their job. They had a multitude of troubles arising from public outcries, such as the one that erupted due to late pay- payments to health care workers because doctors and junior medical staff were promised a 300% bonus to salaries, but not all of them received payments. And then there were the statements made by Chief State Sanitary Dr. lyashko about achieving a psychological effect for which public places, so parks and gardens, were closed for visits in the spring. Although the lockdown yielded results, The rate of the spread of COVID-19 in Ukraine was nearly the lowest among the European countries. But at the same time, the lockdown exhausted its effectiveness, which is why experts began to compare it with a powerful weapon that can be used only once. Moreover, a number of quarantine-related scandals called into question the equality of opportunity and raised the issue of corrupt links between the government and loyal businesses. These affected functioning of building material megastores and restaurants linked with government officials amidst the restriction on operations of restaurants, cafes and pubs. Despite all the measures, as of the 18th of December, Ukraine ranked 17th in the world in the number of coronavirus cases. The situation with hospital bed occupancy was constantly deteriorating. There were no available beds in some regional centres, and the supply of oxygen necessary for seriously ill patients was insufficient at the end of the year. Prime Minister Denis Shmihal and Health Minister Maxim Stepanov were mainly blamed for the inefficient use of funds allocated to fight the epidemic and the lack of preparatory work when the spread rate declined from May to September. The money from the COVID-19 response fund was spent in on the Great Construction Programme to improve the road network. Poor results of the fight against COVID-19 undermined the level of trust in the central government. As evidenced by the 15th until the 17th November 2020 poll conducted by the Rating Sociological Group, 60% of respondents were dissatisfied uh, with the activities of President Vladimir Zelensky in this area, and only thirty-five percent appreciated his efforts. Then, uh, next moment in uh, two thousand and twenty, the constitutional crisis. Um, yeah, one of the most notable events of the year was the autumn constitutional crisis. In late October, the Constitutional Court of Ukraine, or the CCU, responding to a motion submitted by the members of the opposition platform for Life Faction and uh, for the future parliamentary group, repealed the article of the Criminal Code of Ukraine, which criminalizes false information in asset declarations. The CCU also declared unconstitutional the powers of the National Agency for Prevention of Corruption, or in short, the NAPC to control and verify declarations, have round-the-clock access to the Register of Declarations and monitor lifestyles. That is, the NAPC was deprived of its main control functions. The next day, the agency pointedly closed access to the official assets declarations for a wide range of citizens. In his commentary, the NAPC pointed out the conflict of interest of the CCU judges. There was an indication that two CCU judges entered false information. Although the judge's vote was secret, the NAPC accused the two judges of voting for the abolition of powers. In the blink of an eye, hundreds of criminal cases became suspended, in particular against Odessa city mayor Henadi Trukhanov over embezzlement of 54 million hryvnia. The reaction was outrageous. Um, I quote, this is an anti-state revolt in its purest form in the interest of Kolomoisky and the oligarchs of the opposition platform, for a life party, as precisely the members of the For the Future group and the opposition platform, for a life faction, who submitted motion to the CCU. This is uh, what Jehor Chernev said. He is a lawmaker from the Servant of the People faction. Ukraine's Western partners made it clear that if the crisis is not overcome and, accordingly, one of the main reforms anti-corruption reform is abolished, Ukraine may lose support. After all, the adoption of the asset e-declaration law in 2014 was one of the main arguments for the future process of the European Union's visa liberations with Ukraine. Authorities rushed to search for a way out of the crisis. So President Zelensky convened a meeting of the National Security and Defense Council ordering the urgent restoration of access to the e-declarations, which was done. He issued an order to dismiss the CCU judges in the future. In addition, the president submitted a bill to the parliament to restore criminal liability for false declarations. These offenses would be punished with fines and penal custody. On the 4th of December, the Verkhovna Rada restored liability by adopting a compromise bill based on the presidential one. The Venice Commission brought the situation to a close by releasing its opinion on the CCU's decision on the 10th of December. European experts stressed that the decision has significant shortcomings and does not meet the standards of clear justification in constitutional procedures. The commission recommended that Ukraine should reform the CCU. The first recommendation was to limit the scope of constitutional court decisions. The second one was to establish a screening body for candidates for the office of Judge of the Constitutional Court with an international component in a manner similar to other courts. Third, when the conclusion is made that a legal provision is unconstitutional and should be annulled, confirmation from the Grand Chamber upon request by the President of Ukraine or the Parliament should be sought. The following conclusion can be drawn from this crisis. Despite the successful implementation of the reforms proposed by the West, there are still many forces in the country interested in curbing these novelties. Their influence may be so vast that it will reach central authorities, in particular the judiciary. Okay, and next we have the local elections, which were held in Ukraine on the 27th of October. And despite the extremely low voter turnout of 36.9%, which is by the way, the lowest voter turnout ever in independent Ukraine. And um, yet yeah, can maybe be only partially explained by the coronavirus pandemic as the population clearly loses, in, loses interest in voting. And yeah, despite this extremely low outcome, they have become a catalyst for several important processes. The main one was the de facto victory of local authorities over the central party apparatus. The main heroes of the election were self nominated candidates, mayors, and their political projects. The successful Kharkiv bloc in Kharkiv, the proposal party in Dnipro, the trust in deeds party of incumbent mayor Hinadi Truhanov in Odessa, and the Ukrainian strategy party of former prime minister Vladimir Groisman which took 34 out of 53 seats in the Vinitsa City Council. Small electoral revolutions, I would name it, also happened. For example, the era of traditional uh, thumping majority of local government ended in Mariupol town and the Nikolaev City Council membership was updated by 85%. Against this background, the results of parliamentary parties were weak. Despite the victorious statements, the servant of the People Party, which used the mobilization potential attained during the presidential campaign during the parliamentary elections a year ago, gained not a single mayoral post at the regional center level, which can be considered a clear victory of local authorities. Another conclusion, a consensus of local elites actually formed in each region and at the level of cities. This is evidenced by the formation of coalitions so um, non-formalized groups of local council members with unusual participants in fact it is a solitaire laid out from local officials who are very indirectly involved in the central apparatus of the parties for example the opposition platform for a life party and the european solidarity party formed the coalition in the Starobilsk City Council in the Luhansk region, leaving behind the team of MP Sergei Shakov, another important participant in the local political events. And the situation when the Servant of the People Party formed a coalition with the opposition platform for Life Party in one local council and with the European Solidarity Party in another, explaining the latter choice by impossibility of cooperation with opposition and pro-Russian forces was commonplace. Then we are going to the state budget for 2021. The budgeting process was closely linked to the risks uh, Ukraine faced in 2020. The first one was, of course, the coronavirus crisis. Health Minister Maxim Stepanov insisted on increasing the health ministry, spending up to 296 billion RIVNIA. Nevertheless, the final amount is much smaller. It was only 162.68 billion hryvnia, although there is a 22% increase compared to the budget for 2020. This may suspend the increased payments to medical staff. Doctors currently receive up to 30,000 hryvnia, nurses up to 21,000 hryvnia. However, they will receive 9,000 hryvnia and 7,000 hryvnia, respectively, from the 1st of January. The second risk is the need to balance the budget and reduce its deficit. This requirement was put forward by the Western partners, and it was a necessary condition for obtaining the next tranches from the IMF. By the second reading, the state budget deficit was reduced from 6% to 5.5% of the GDP um, by 24 billion. Runia. These parameters were agreed upon with foreign partners. Um, I quote the Prime Minister actually, (laughs) we propose a balanced budget that does not envisage an increase in taxes for business and at the same time provides for better spending on social sphere and medicine. Despite the large deficit, social expenditures were preserved and even increased in some areas. A gradual increase in pensions is planned throughout 2021. From July, the state will start paying 400 more hryvnia to pensioners aged uh, 75 to 80 years. And people over 90 years will receive a bonus of up to 500 hryvnia. The macroeconomic indicators of the state budget for 2021 are as follows. Revenues are um, amount up to 1.092 trillion hryvnia. Um, Expenditures 1.743 trillion hryvnia. The average annual U.S. dollar exchange rate for 2021 is projected at 29.1 hryvnia per one U.S. dollar. The GDP growth is expected at 4.6% and the inflation rate at 7.3%. And lastly, um, we're going to talk about education. The past year was very difficult for education systems workers. Teachers and professors had to master remote teaching strategies during the coronavirus quarantine and conduct external independent evaluation amid the pandemic. The last challenge was the appointment of Minister of Education, Sergei Skarlet. Part of uh, society has an issue with his professional, moral and ethical qualities. However, as evidenced by external independent evaluation results, schools performed pretty well in 2020, despite the difficult learning environment. Last year, 91.7% of school graduates passed a test and overcame the threshold score in the Ukrainian language, compared to 84% in 2019. The mathematics test was passed by 87.3% of uh, school graduates compared to 81.5% in 2019, and the biology test was passed by 94.5% compared to 91% in 2019. So, on the 23rd of February, Vox Ukraine, together with Promote Ukraine, held an open discussion on vaccination and the responsibility for it. Because today we find ourselves at a stage when back to normal from the pandemic seems within reach. Governments and international organizations claim that return to normalcy hinges upon the scale and speed of vaccination. They call their citizens to show solidarity to ensure that herd immunity is achieved. However, a substantial number of citizens, even in developed countries, have vaccine hesitancy. Together with Tanya Porchnik from the Visio Institute, Rahel Siebner from the Friedrich Neumann Foundation, Arsen Jumadilov from the State Enterprise Medical Procurement of Ukraine, and Natalia Gumenyuk from the Public Interest Journalism Lab, we have talked about major factors that make people doubtful about vaccination. So here are the highlights of the discussion. Allegedly, there is no other alternative than to intensely roll out vaccination because of the effects of the pandemic of COVID-19 on social life and economy. The elderly and sick people are, of course, most at risk. There are also indirect consequences of the pandemic. So people losing their jobs and women needing to stay home to take care of children, thus they either have to quit their jobs or take on additional workload. However, In the EU, the debate about making the vaccines mandatory is still ongoing because people are not sure that vaccines are 100% safe. So the government and parliaments must communicate clearly on vaccination. Trust in government's decisions and actions is the crucial factor for the success of vaccination, while citizens should take on their own risk and responsibility for getting a jab. So when it comes to people's perception, a number of polls in different countries show that a significant number of people are not ready for vaccination. In December, Ukraine had a national poll conducted by the Kharkiv Institute for Social Research that showed that at least 86% of Ukrainians um, considered COVID-19 of a, as a real threat. However, just 40% of them were ready to get a vaccination. So what are the reasons for that? Well, half of the respondents in Ukraine were concerned about possible side effects. 39% were interested in the results of vaccination against COVID-19 in other countries. 43% were concerned that vaccines were developed very fast. 20% would like to see certificates of vaccines. And a third of Ukrainians believed in various conspiracy theories about the origin of (laughs) COVID-19. Specifically, 5% of respondents were afraid of being microchipped during vaccination. 30% of Ukrainians trusted the US made vaccine more than others. Um, 23% trusted vaccines made in Belgium and the UK. Only 12% trusted the Russian vaccine and yeah, Chinese ones had even a low, lower level of trust. So what could be incentives to get people actually vaccinated? Well, for 34% it would be the positive experience of relatives or friends, for 18% free of charge vaccination, and for almost 30% recommendations of a a doctor. Discouraging factors were practically symmetric, so for 46% that would be a negative experience of friends or relatives, and for 27% it would be a negative message from a doctor. Thus, it is absolutely crucial that family doctors in Ukraine educate people. So the same survey of Ukrainians shows that almost 60% get information on COVID-19 from TV and just half of them actually believes this information. 30% get the news from the internet and even less from social media. At the same time, not that many respondents trust the information they get. Only one in four respondents, regardless of the age group, do not trust any information source. Moreover, in Ukraine, Ukrainian journalists still get information mainly from the international media and from scientific sources, for instance, from The Lancet Journal. There are no specific top journalists who cover healthcare, medical or scientific topics. That is why discussion in the media is heavily politicized, because it is led by people who for many years covered politics. To deliver valuable information, Ukrainian journalists need to change their mindset and also get the knowledge and training on how to report a healthcare crisis rather than a political crisis. So who then guarantees medical effectiveness and safety of vaccines? So the EU currently has purchased three vaccines, the Pfizer-BioNTech, the Moderna and the AstraZeneca. Um, They all have received conditional marketing authorization from the European Medicines Agency, or the EMA. This means that they have been evaluated for safety, quality and efficacy. However, their producers still need to report to EMA the results of the trials and safety monitoring. After a year, they have to reapply for the conditional marketing authorization. If in three years, no major complications or severe side effects are recorded, they will get a definite marketing authorization. By then, the majority of the world population will be vaccinated, and hopefully not only in developed countries. There are calls for solidarity so that nobody is left behind, and high-income countries are working together on sharing the vaccines or making donations to help low-income countries purchase vaccines on their own. But what if at least one vaccine turns out to cause severe side effects like pandemics did? So pandemics was initially authorized under exceptional circumstances. So in the same way as um, COVID vaccines against the bird flu. So the H1N1 in 2006, as a result, 1,500 people, including 800 children in Europe alone developed narcolepsy, which is a sleeping disorder after receiving the vaccine. So vaccination should be a default option only if it benefits outweigh the risks. But who is able to actually give such a guarantee about any of the COVID vaccines? Who will be liable if something goes wrong in the future? So if a vaccine is given conditional marketing authorization by the EMA, liability rests solely with pharmaceutical companies. A year after authorization until the next review, the pharmaceutical company bears the entire liability unless it decides to pull the vaccine out of the market. However, there is another mechanism used by some EU countries. They can provide emergency authorization to a vaccine that hasn't yet had positive feedback from the EMA. In this case, liability is strictly with that EU member state and no other state can use that vaccine. After the European Medicines Agency provided a permanent marketing authorization to a vaccine, any EU member state may use that vaccine on its own market. When it comes to Ukraine, there is a system of pharmacovigilance. This system ensures recording of all cases of side effects when medicines registered in Ukraine are used. So if there is an issue with the product, it can be traced. Then controlling agencies such as the State Service of Ukraine on medicines and drug control will check who was liable. Was there a breach of the temperatures regime during transportation of vaccines, for example, or is there poor quality of the vaccine itself? There should be also the laboratory control of every vaccine brought to Ukraine. If transportation, storage and distribution of vaccines were done properly, and there are still abnormal side effects, then there's a big question to the producer. But before asking this question, due diligence need to be done. In December 2020, Ukraine signed a preferential contract on the delivery of the Sinovac Biotech LTD vaccine in terms of the liabilities that are put on the supplier side. If they fail to deliver the product on time, they will have to pay a fine. Or if they fail to prove that the efficacy of the vaccine exceeds 70%, which is actually not the case globally, Ukraine has the right to not accept the vaccine and return the money that has been paid. The contract was published in Ukraine's online procurement system, Prozoro, and is available publicly to everyone. Usually, pharma companies make sure that the contract terms are more favorable for them. To conclude, vaccines that are now administered both in the EU and in Ukraine are not yet approved definitely by respective medical authorities and are marketed due to medical emergency provisions. Yet, the quality control and liability mechanism employed are different in the EU and Ukraine. For the time being, a decision whether to take a risk of being vaccinated still rests with citizens. However, there is a growing societal pressure to the inoculated, either because of solidarity or because of looming restrictions and limitations that those who opt out will have to face. So that was it with this week's podcast. It was slightly different than usual, but I hope you enjoy it. So make sure to share your thoughts with us. And yeah, we would be very happy to hear your feedback so we can keep improving this podcast for you. And if you want to have more information on Ukraine-EU-Russia relations and read other articles as well, you can always visit promoteukraine.org. And also, if you haven't done so yet, follow us on our social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. You can find us everywhere under the name, you can guess it, (laughs) Promote Ukraine. But for now, I wish you a wonderful start into the new week, and I'll see you next week with some fresh and new information.